Sometimes it comes with promotion, and that's pride. If you're taking notes, write down 1 Timothy 3.6. It's talking about a deacon. It says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So sometimes you have to be careful with those people who get very prideful every time they get, well, hey, look, I work really hard, I bring home the check, but who are you to tell me what to do? I make big decisions at work all day long. Don't tell me how to do whatever. Be careful of those people. The eyes of Israel eagerly looked to Samuel, awaiting to find out who God would choose to lead the nation after him. They had requested a king in order to become more like the ungodly nations around them, and even though that was not what God desired for them, he granted their request. In 1 Samuel 9, we are finally introduced to the man God chose, Saul. In every apparent way, he seemed to be a perfect fit, but as his life and character unfolded before them, Israel would soon learn all they lost when they gained a human king. In today's message, Pastor Mark will introduce us to Saul, the king Israel requested from God. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 for today's edition of Come Alive. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Charles Templeton? We'll look at all the hands go up. Nobody? How about Braun Clifford? Anybody ever hear of these guys? No? How about Billy Graham? Yes, no, hands up. Okay, everybody has. Okay, so Charles Templeton, Braun Clifford, and Billy Graham were all around at the same time, around 1945. All of them worked in the same ministry, Youth for Christ. Charles Templeton, by theological seminary professors and and, in Christian magazines, was hailed as the freshest voice in preaching today has had a more promising career, this is in 1945, than anyone we ever met. Braun Clifford was 25 and said to be the best evangelist for centuries to hit the church. One source said he has touched more lives and influenced more leaders and set more attendance records than any other clergyman in American history, including Billy Sunday. And if you don't know who that is, you guys need to do some Christian homework, get busy. And these guys were around at the same time. They never once in these magazine articles where both these men were mentioned had mentioned Billy Graham. And you might wonder why. So why have we not heard or know much about these other two guys? Well, they're not as well known as Billy Graham. Charles and Clifford started really well, but they ended very poorly. On the other hand, Billy Graham started very well and has followed the Lord with consistency and with integrity, and running the race to finish well. Charles Templeton, five years into his preaching ministry, so about 1950, denied the faith. He denied Christ. He no longer believed in Jesus because he had suffered a few losses because God didn't give him what he had wanted at that time. And it's the, well, if that's the way God's going to be, I'm going to take my toys and go home situation. 
In Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, there's an amazing interview with this guy, Charles Templeton. So if you want to read more about him, I'm not going to tell you. Buy the book and and check it out. But Braun Clifford, what about this guy? Well, it's reported that by the time Braun Clifford was 25 years old, he was preaching to thousands everywhere he went, and there were overflow crowds. He eventually lost his ministry and his family because of alcoholism. He was a drunk. He squandered all of his money. Still in Florida and in certain places, they say that he, in, in this one arena, that they still talk about the sellout crowds in this place. He was found dead 10 years later at the age of 35 in a rundown motel on the outskirts of Amarillo. Local ministers in Amarillo, Texas, took up an offering to buy the guy a cheap casket, had him shipped off to the east so he could be buried in a cemetery for the poor. And so all this has something to say with you can have a great start and have a poor finish. And so the other side of the coin is you may have started very slow and very rocky, but you can finish well. The choice we make is one of two, to follow the Lord and glorify him or to follow ourselves and glorify us. And it happens in ministry all the time. Today, we're going to meet a guy named Saul. And we're going to see what his life is like, what he had, and why he should have been a success. And he had some natural advantages. So let's pick up in chapter 9, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, and a Benjamite. A mighty man of power. Let's stop there. So Kish was like a feudal lord. He was a very wealthy man. He was well-to-do. And so we see later on that Saul is from this family, a well-to-do family. And, and as we read on, we're going to see that you're going to hear about some donkeys that get lost. And a donkey back in those days is the equivalent to a pretty nice-sized work pickup truck. So if you had three of them, you, you were on the beginning of a fleet. If you had more than that, it really, you were a very wealthy man if you had more than one. I mean, even if you had one, you, you were considered to have had some money. But if you had more than one, you'd had a fleet. So these donkeys were lost. Let's read verse 2. It says, And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There we meet Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. So two times we find out that Saul's handsome in the same verse. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So he was a tall, dark, and handsome guy. And now the donkeys, verse 3, of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you. Arise, go and look for the donkeys. So not only does he have donkeys, money, lots of pickup trucks, so to speak, But he's got servants, he's got employees, and so he's able to take one, and they're able to take off from work and go look for these lost pickups. And so these guys are out there looking for their trucks, their workhorses, their donkeys, and we find out that Saul was very good looking. Twice it tells us how handsome he was. He was the best looking guy in all of the land. Now, he would be on the front cover of any kind of Israeli GQ magazine at the time. His name Saul means asked for or requested. And we can see why if we think about last week's lesson when the people came and demanded a king. And even though Samuel warned them and said, hey, this guy, he's going to take some stuff. He's going to take your daughters, your sons. He's going to take a tenth of all this. And they are like, it doesn't matter. We want to be like the other people. 
We want to have a king. And so they insist. In ancient times, it was very important to have your political leader to look very good. He's, uh, of course, the representative of your country, of your nation. And it was esteemed and admired to have a person who was good-looking and tall. It showed something about you. If you had a tall, good-looking king, you might have intimidated the short, ugly-looking tribes that were around you if there were some. I wonder if he had spent a lot of time in front of his mirror checking out himself in his kingly clothing once he was crowned king. And you would think he did. Let's pick up in verse 4. It says, So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. And when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, look, now this is the servant. There is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke this, come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. That's kind of weird that the verse 9 is just a parenthesis statement, but that's cool. We're going to find out why. And then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now for today he has come to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. A couple of things I find amazing all the time. Every time some biblical dude is on a journey, there's always some women drawing water. Anyhow, but if we look at this, we need to look at some things in these verses that are quality characteristics of of this guy Saul. But we need to be careful not to pass him up because it's easy to do that. We see here he has a good start, number one. He's willing to take a lowly position. So if you're taking notes, write number one and lowly position. Saul is willing to do a job that doesn't offer a lot of glamour. He's the son of a well, a wealthy man. And so his dad says, hey, you know what? Some of our trucks are lost. Why don't you go and look for them? So he's like, okay. Because he could have said, well, dad, you know, couldn't one of the servants or two of the servants or four of the servants or whoever else go out and look for these? But he says, okay, cool, I'll go. He takes a job that doesn't offer a lot of glamour. To those of you who are trying to climb a tree or a ladder, career ladder, you might not get excited over donkey recovery. But this is something, you know, that Saul does. He humbly lowers himself to do this. He was obedient to his dad, and that's another good thing. So let's say maybe you're looking to get married to a young man, and you want to know, well, what can I find in this man? What should I be looking for as a Christian young lady and a Christian man? Well, number one, somebody that's willing to be a servant, to do the low-end jobs. Another thing, somebody that's obedient, somebody that's willing to take orders. And sometimes that's important. 
I think it's important if you find a leader or a husband or whatever to follow a boss that he said as that leader that that leader has a servant's heart. We spoke about that before. Number two, look at what Saul does. He's willing to accept the advice of a servant. He's not like the boss. It's like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Do it this way or it's hit the highway. He's willing to take the advice of someone that works for him, a servant. And so in those days, um, in verse 9, we're looking at, they go looking for a seer. So he says, hey, the servant's like, hey, bro, let me just tell you something. There's a seer in this city, in the city of Zuf. And again, the seer went from being called a seer because anybody could be a seer. You know, they would put tea leaves and some water and blow on him in whichever direction they pointed. That's where you would go. Oh, he's over there. But a man of God, like Samuel, he was different. He was a prophet. He heard from God. He was 100% right all the time. And so what's, why is this so important? Well, again, anyone calling themselves a prophet of God when they spoke was to be 100% correct. And it had to be of God because God's not wrong. So it would be 100% correct. And then the info they received would be true and it would come to pass. If they were off just slightly, just a little bit, let's say their batting average was uh, 40 to 60%, they would be considered a false prophet. And that person, if claiming to be a prophet of God, was wrong, then that person would have to die. He would get stoned. So we see Saul as someone who's going to accept a lowly job, number one. Number two, he's going to accept the advice from a servant, someone less than himself. And number three, he is willing to receive direction from the Lord. Are you willing to follow someone who is willing to hear from God? Willing to receive advice from God. Are you willing to follow, ladies, if you have a husband who's to be a spiritual leader, when he says, man, I don't know what to do. Let's go to God's word and find out what we need to do. You should be willing to follow that guy. Not the guy who's like, well, you know, um, let's go get a self-help book and something written by Zig Ziglar because, one, he's a Christian, but, you know, he's pretty good at what he does. And follow that person. I would say be very careful. You need to be willing to follow someone who is receiving advice from God. If they're not receiving advice from God, then they're going to mislead you. You're going to wind up on a path where you're going to be lost. And so maybe it's a friend that you're taking advice from. Maybe it's a boyfriend. Or, you know, does that person listen to a friend's advice? Does that person listen when he goes to his buddies and say, hey, you know, I got this idea. And they're like, no, you're totally wrong. You should do it this way. Are they willing to submit themselves to others at some points and times and willing to take that lowly position? And if they're not, stay away from that person. And then, are they willing to do grunt work? Are they willing to get their hands dirty? Or are they too good for certain tasks? A problem would be, maybe you're like, well, you know, he is too good for certain tasks, but that's just the way he was brought up. He's from a good family. They were wealthy. And he really doesn't like to change the baby's diaper. Well, what do you do? Leave the kid in that filth while you're gone? No, we just he hires a babysitter to come in to change the diaper. Pays him 10 bucks for the diaper. It's like, hey, be careful with that person. Think about chasing that guy who has money or good looks. And, you know, and, and we see through history that people have done it. One of the people I was reading about this morning, Mike Tyson. Good looks, lots of money, championship boxer, you know. I mean, he was, he was great. People liked him. The youngest heavyweight um, ever. And 
good looks and money, but he was a, a rageaholic. He had a temper. He wasn't good. And now, supposedly, he's reformed, and he has a show. If anybody's going to Vegas, you can catch it April 13th through the 14th, where he talks about his life. And he says in his own words, I used to be a Neanderthal. And it was like, man, people were telling you that for years. You just now figure that out. But supposedly he changed. But see, a lot of times, maybe at some point, that job, that money, that career takes them away from the Lord. Maybe it'll take them away from you constantly. So if you're with a person who's constantly gone, or maybe chasing someone who who will be constantly gone, you might want to be careful. Just because somebody has good looks and has a good start, comes from a good background, it could still not be of the Lord. It doesn't matter. It will leave you empty. And so Saul, we see here, he starts well. But the problem that comes with the promotion is, is pride. There's a problem sometimes that comes with promotion, and that's pride. If you're taking notes, write down 1 Timothy 3.6. It's talking about a deacon. It says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So sometimes you have to be careful with those people who get very prideful every time they get, well, hey, look, I work really hard. I bring home the check, but who are you to tell me what to do? I make big decisions at work all day long. Don't tell me how to do whatever. Be careful of those people. So we see Saul here. He starts with humility, but because God gives him that prominent position later on, a few chapters later, suddenly he begins to think, well, he begins to believe his own press. And that's very scary and and a very horrible thing to do when you start to believe your own press. Another thing that happens is with promotion is it sometimes breeds a private lifestyle a private lifestyle. They become so separated at the top that they're no longer relatable. And that's a very scary thing as well. I know people that are like that. They, they have this pride in this privacy and they don't want to talk to certain people. They don't want to associate themselves with the, the lowly, the little people, the peasants. Hey, you watch some of those shows or you read about kings and they didn't hang out with the common people. Uh, they, they separated themselves. They didn't want to rub elbows with certain people. They only hung out with other kings and queens and dignitaries. And it's, and it's a very scary thing when that happens. When your relationship becomes exclusive and you're not yet married, be careful with that because that will lead to certain pride. And pride is, well, the main cause of sin in, in everyone's life. And so be careful with those things when it happens for those of you who are dating, for those of you who are looking for promotion. So again, you see that. They have this, this pride and privacy will remove them from the people. And so God sees Saul do this and says, I got to remove you, man. I got to take you out because he has removed himself from God's people. He doesn't love or care for the sheep like he used to. So Saul is, for me as a pastor, when I look at Saul's life, it's something that sets me straight because he was a man with great opportunity and he blew it. And I have to look at my life every single day. I have great opportunity in my home with my children, but I can blow it when I start to think, dude, playing with that kickball, Lisa, is no fun. I can kick it over your head and I always win at soccer anyway. So you know what? You should go play with your friends and just leave me here to myself and close my office door. Or Elia, 
Are you serious? You want to paint my fingernails again? I am a man. You should never paint my fingernails or any boy's fingernails for that purpose. Leave and go play with your dollies by yourself or call your mommy. She's a girl. She might like that more than me. And close the door. And now I've separated myself from my family. And now my children see me as somebody that, oh, it's private. The door is closed. Here in my office, my son's always welcome in. It doesn't matter what we're doing. He's welcome to come in and jump in my lap and give me a hug. And if anyone wants to ask our leadership, they see that most every Sunday. And even at my own house, the door is always open. My family's always welcome into those areas. And then in my life, I need to make sure that, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm tired sometimes, but I want to hang out with you. You might think, well, you're too busy. Don't ever think I'm too busy. If I am, I'm like, hey, I can't get to it today, but hey, let's pick a day and a time, and we'll hang out. So don't ever be afraid. We should never be that way. And this is a cool story for me because when I look at Saul, I'm like, here's a man with great opportunity. Great opportunity, and he blows it by becoming too private and too separated. And so he should be an example for all of us as well. Are you relatable? Do you hang out with other people from our fellowship or just the same few every Sunday? You know, sometimes I go over there and I see that. I see the same people just gather together and I just kind of watch. And yes, I do follow. I told somebody the other day the reason I like uh, Facebook is because, you know, it lets my stalker mentality come out. But if you're my friend on Facebook, I check out who's writing posts and what you're saying. Like, oh, cool. It lets me know. Hey, I didn't know there was a birthday, you know, and you send them a little happy birthday. But it's one of those things. You know, I just kind of walk around the church and I see people and I'm like, oh, look. And for the last six weeks, those two have been hanging out every Sunday. I don't ever remember them seeing and talking to anyone else. So I'll go over to Frank, go bust that up and start talking to that person over there. Sometimes that happens. Now, not every time Frank goes and talks to you is because I sent them over. (laughs) But we should be guarding ourselves jealously and making sure that, hey, it's important. Because what happens is we start to be these little cliques. And nobody knows the problems I have, you know, and, and nobody knows how to pray for me. And... All of a sudden, it's like, hey, you know, so-and-so, I want you to bring, who's that? Oh, you know, they've been coming to our church for at least 15 years. We're not that old, but, you know, you find out, like, yeah, no, I didn't know them. Really? We're small enough. We should all know each other, except for the new people. We should even know when the new people come in. Like, oh, hey, man, glad you're here. They don't know that you're not new. So do we separate ourselves? Are we relatable? Do we hang out with other people from our fellowship or just the same few every Sunday? Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel, and we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. 
It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit comealiveradio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.